And we're in Proverbs chapter number six this evening, and uh, I'm going to be preaching uh, from this particular text. We'll begin reading in uh, verse number 20, and uh, just read uh, just a couple of verses, but we're going to preach the remainder of the chapter. We'll, we'll cover all the way to verse number 35 this evening. And so we'll look with me there, if you would, in Proverbs chapter six and verse number 20. The Bible says, my son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. The title of the message comes... From the 20th verse where Solomon writes and he says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Tonight I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Thy Father and Thy Mother. Thy Father and Thy Mother. Father, thank you for this night and for this day. Lord, thank you for saving lost souls here this morning. Thank you for allowing, Lord, our church to be a blessing to so many families Uh, through what uh, I believe was certainly a very beautiful service, but also a very Christ-honoring service. And uh, thank you that we can gather together again tonight at 6 o'clock and uh, once again open the Bible and consider what it has to say to us. Lord, help us as we uh, teach and preach our way through the remainder of this sixth chapter. Uh, Lord, uh, would you speak to hearts here tonight? And uh, Lord, I I don't know all that you're doing, but it's obvious that you have led us in this family theme today. And it very well may be, again, that there are just some families that could use some encouragement and can use some strengthening and equipping. And, uh, and certainly, Lord, your word gives us what we need in these areas. And so help us tonight, we pray. I pray that you'd fill me and that you'd empower me and that you'd use me. Give me the strength that I need tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would say that it is appropriate on this Mother's Day for us to arrive here in our study of the book of Proverbs. I am oftentimes, I marvel that... Uh, as you preach through a book or, or, or in a series, uh, that you don't necessarily plan it, but God leads you exactly where he would have you to go. And oftentimes it coincides with maybe some type of a special Sunday or special emphasis. Many times a, a special number will be sung that just fits right in with the message. Or, or, or sometimes maybe there's just some things maybe that are happening in the church family in which some, some, some teaching and preaching on that particular topic would be helpful. And yet it's sort of be a little awkward to do that if you were just sort of picking the passages out as you go. And yet you can always just say, listen, God did that because we were just in that book, next chapter and next verse, and and that's what the Lord did. And and so I marvel that here in the sixth chapter of the book of Proverbs, as we just preach systematically through this book, we arrive at verse number 20, where Solomon makes a plea to his son that he he, he heed the, the wisdom and the advice and the counsel of his mother and his father. You know, one cannot overestimate the impact parents have on their children. Boy, you are so you are so impactful in the lives of your children. You are moms and dads, you are literally your life giving to them. By the same token, I think you can perhaps be life sucking from them as well. I think just as you can give life, you can rip life away and we've all been there. I can think of times as a parent in which I have responded to my children in the flesh. 
certainly not been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I, and I can almost watch as the color drains from the face of my child and, and just almost see the hope as it escapes from their eyes that, uh, that, that their dad is, is, is so disappointed in them or that he is reacting in such a fleshly manner to them. And so you understand that you, you play a great role and you have such a tremendous impact in the lives of your children. And can I say this? The blessing of that impact is compounded when a child is given the opportunity to grow up in a home with Christian parents whose faith is real and authentic. In other words, what I'm saying is every parent is impactful in the lives of their children. But when you, have a, when you have a dad and you have a mom, you have a set of parents who love the Lord and, and, and love him with their whole heart. Oh, they may not be perfect. In fact, we know they're not going to be perfect. That's impossible. But we know that they love the Lord and they love God's word and they love one another. Oh, listen, the blessing of that impact is compounded over and over and over again. As I look around this room, there are many of you that are sitting in this room tonight and you are here because... Your life has been touched by a Christian parent. You had a praying mama or you had a faithful daddy, a, a man of, uh, of character and integrity. And then I also understand I'm, I'm preaching to some folks here tonight. You didn't have that. It doesn't mean that you, you, your life is, is less important or of less value, but you didn't have that foundation that others, others had. And maybe perhaps you are determined to give your children or to give your grandchildren what you were never given. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So God has given the responsibility of, uh, of really impacting and teaching children primarily to mom and dad. I share with you Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But in that text, God makes it abundantly clear as he speaks to the nation of Israel that his expectation is, is that mom and dad be the primary teacher and influencer in their children's lives. He says in Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. I'm thinking of some lessons that I learned as a boy. I, I don't know, Dad, if you remember this, but uh, I, remember, I remember one Sunday coming out to the car for church. And I just, you know, I came walking out just sort of, you know, casually just doing my thing. I hopped in the back seat and I'll never forget my dad. I, I was, I couldn't have been older than maybe seven or eight years old. And he looked in the mirror and he said, son, where's your Bible? And I looked at him. I said, I, I don't have it. And I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he says, that'll be the last service that you ever go to church without your Bible. And you know what? It was. <laughs> it really was. The last service that I went to church without my Bible. You know what he was doing? He was teaching me that when we go to church, we bring our copy of the Word of God. And, um, and now I better have my Bible when I come to church. I'll be in some serious trouble if I, if I don't have it. But I never forgot that. I never forgot that. That when we come to church, get the Bible, you, you can forget your tie, you, you can forget your shoes, I don't advise it, but you can forget your shoes, you can forget your earrings or whatever, but you better not forget your Bible. Just a lesson that I learned. That was something that was taught to me by my parents. I remember they, uh, they, they taught us how to answer the phone. Well, we, we literally, we were, we were warped, man. I'm telling you, as a family, we were so weird. And uh, in those days, of course, you know, there weren't, weren't, there weren't cell phones and, and, uh, and there weren't even, in those days, there weren't even the cordless phones, the wireless phones that you could kind of take throughout the house. There were phones that were connected to the wall 
and they had like this cord that, that, that went out. Do I need to explain this some more? Some of you are, yes, please. I did, I did see the, the, the old rotary phone. I did see that they gave some, some younger gen, generation Z, they gave them a rotary phone and they said, you need to figure out how to place a phone call on this. And it took them like 15 minutes to do it. They had no idea, never seen anything like it before. You know, the one where you turn the, you know, and it, anyways. Um, so so my, my mom and dad, they, they sat us down in the living room and they would pretend like the phone was ringing and we had to, we had to pick up the phone and we had, we had like a little, like a little, um, a script that we had to go off of. I kid you not, you're looking at me like, you guys were nuts. And, and I wasn't nuts, they were. They're the ones that were teaching us these things. And to this day, I still remember what they, what they taught us. We had to say, when we picked up the phone, we had to say, Folger Residence, Peter speaking. I had to say that every time I answered the phone. I hated doing that. I just want to say, hello, what do you want, you know? <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> But no, I had to, I was like, I was my, you know, I was like my mom's secretary or my dad's secretary, you know, Folger, let, let me get him on the line, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and we were, we were, we were taught those sorts of things. And, and we look back now and we, uh, we, we, we chuckle about those things. The truth of the matter is I, I can, I can poke fun in some of those things, but, but listen, I, I'm grateful to be raised in that home. I'm grateful for the things that we were given and that we were taught some things about having manners and about how to go to church and, and, uh, and, and, and about, we were taught from an early age that if we got money that we were to give some of that back to the Lord. Uh, what, were my, what were my parents doing? They were, they were sharing, listen, they were sharing truths from God's word with us. Did you know that, that my, my dad led me to Christ? He shared the gospel with me, and he led me to Christ. I, I think that every parent ought to have a burden, ought to have a desire, that when it comes time for their children to make that decision that mom and dad are involved and, and are there and are able to lead them through the gospel and what the Bible teaches. So, so what we find here in Deuteronomy 6 is, is a picture that is given of a home that is completely saturated with Scripture and scriptural teaching. But of course, listen, this is only half the equation. You see, a mom and dad can and they should teach. But the plea is given in our text, isn't it? The plea is given that the son, the child who has been blessed to grow up in a Christian home and to have a mom and dad who are faithfully going to teach him God's word, the plea is given that that son, that he keep and he forsake not that which has been taught. So in other words, we all have a responsibility. We all have a role to play in this particular realm. Mom and dad, your role is get God's word in your heart and talk about it and teach it to your children at every moment that you possibly can. And you children, you young people, your job, your responsibility is to, is to keep that which they've given you, to not forsake it, to not walk away from it, but to hold on to it with all of your heart and with all of your mind. There's no doubt that some have squandered and cast aside a great treasure of practical and theologically sound teaching at the hands of a godly father and a godly mother. And Solomon, in our text, he pleads with his son to take the investment that had been made into him and to cultivate these things. He he pleads with him to hold tightly to what you've been given Because if you'll do that, it'll keep you on the right path and it'll spare you from major turmoil and heartache. I just have to tell you that we must actively, we must actively, all of us must actively resist the fleshly urges that will naturally come to throw off that which we have been given from godly influences. 
There's something about the flesh. There's something about a rebellious spirit that just, that just wants to take everything that we've been taught and just to sort of discard it or, or, or to minimize it or, or, or to rationalize it away and to say, you know, well, that was, that was good for that era and for that time, but we don't live there anymore. And, and, uh, and, and mom and dad, they're a little bit old and they're a little bit stuck in their ways. And I just want you to know something. Every last one of us wrestles with this type of mindset. And we think to ourselves, you know, the... The culture is different today than it once was. Or those folks are old and they don't know what it's like to be where I am. Or maybe we start to think to ourselves, you know, that was fine for them, but I want something more or something different than they have or than they had. And here's what I believe. I believe that by reading and applying what is found here in this particular text, what we, have, we find that Solomon has written, we can avoid destruction and death. And we can do so thanks to the godly influences of Father and mother. I just want to share with you two key thoughts and just some things under each one. Number one, I think we discover in verses 20 to 23 the wisdom of godly parents. The wisdom of godly parents. You know, we do a great disservice, don't we, when we judge success by merely worldly standards. I think we do a great disservice when, when we just look at people and, and, and we, just, we, we just judge them by what does is, what is the world define as success? What I'm saying is your, your father or your mother, your father or mother may, may not have or may, may never have earned a college degree. They, they, may never, they may never had an incredibly sec- successful career. They, they, may not, they may not have a robust retirement account. They may not have some other measurable thing according to the world's definition of success. But, but I, just want, I just want you to know something. They may still, they may still possess wisdom that is gained through careful study and meditation of God's word and a consistent walk with him. So, so listen, success is not merely defined by the fact that, you know, well, dad's been retired all these years and boy, he's been able to do whatever he wants to do. They travel all over the place and they have nice cars and they're well-respected and boy, he had a big retirement party and everybody said good things about him. No, it's very possible that maybe your mom or your dad worked with their hands their whole life. Maybe very few people knew them. Maybe they, maybe they never really did have hardly two nickels to rub together. Financially, it was always a, a stretch. It was always a trial for them just to make it from day to day. And yet, and yet, you know, you know that that person, that mom, that dad, that individual was full of wisdom. The wisdom of godly parents. Notice, notice, in order for the wisdom of godly parents to, to, take, to take hold and, and, to, and to accomplish what God intended for it to accomplish, there must, first of all, number one, be, the, be a teaching. We see the teaching in verse number 20 where he says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, I want you to underline or highlight two words here if you're in the habit of doing that in your Bible. And those words, those words are found in verse number 20, and that is this, commandment and law commandment and law. Now you know as well as I do that these are unpopular terms in today's society, aren't they? Well, we don't we don't like this idea of commandment and law. These are sort of seen in our culture as restrictive and, and oppressive. And yet I want you to know something. Listen, the world cannot function without them. In order for in order for society to function properly and appropriately, there must be commandments and laws. Can I say the first interaction with commandments and laws comes in the home? 
It's the first interaction with commandments and laws comes in the home. And it starts out very simply, doesn't it? Don't crawl there. Don't do it. And of course, you know, there they go. And so what do we do? We, we, we go over and, and everybody's different. Um, I, I think God gives wisdom to parents and, and I, would, I would encourage you. Um, but but I, I, know, I know some parents and I, I'll, just, I'll just tell you what we did when our children were little, when they were real little and they were, were start, just starting to learn. And, 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 and you know, you know they, get the, they sort of get that evil gleam in their eye in, in which you're, you're telling them don't do it and they sort of look at you like, well, because you've told me not to do it, I'm going to do it. And that is the sin nature at its, at its, at its, base, at, at its basis level. Because already at 16, 18, 20 months, they're already, they're already developing a, a mindset of, I'm gonna do what you tell me not to do. And, and that takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? God said, look, here's every, every tree enjoy it, be blessed by it, except for one. And I don't, I, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but just knowing human nature, I just have to think that Eve and Adam, they started looking at that tree and maybe the, fr- the fruit was a little bit bigger on that tree than it was on the other ones. Or maybe it shined a little bit differently. And, 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 so, and so they, you know, that's the one I, we can't have, that's the one we want. And that's how it is still today for all of us. And so the child goes crawling over there. And, and so my wife and I, when our children were little, we just, we just did one of these little numbers. We just kind of flick them on the, on the outside of the hand. I mean, it was nothing. It was nothing. Now, now if you would have looked at them, it, it was like World War III, you know. I mean, the, 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 the tears and the sorrow and the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. And, you know, from a little, just a little flick on the, uh, on the outside of the hand. But you know what we were doing? We were establishing at that early age the idea of commandments and laws. That, that, that there's someone that is responsible to give a command, to give a law. And if that law or that command is violated, then there is going to be some type of, of chastisement. There's going to be some type of punishment. And I know, I know some of you are sitting here saying, I can't believe, I can't believe you'd flick a little child on the, and I just, I just want you to know something. It's a whole lot better to flick a little child on the outside of their hand than it is for them to grow up without any commandments and any laws whatsoever. And then, and then they get into a world in which there still are commandments and laws and they've never been taught to, 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 to submit to those things. And now all of a sudden you, you got a kid and, and, uh, and, and he's, you know, he's being handcuffed. And maybe he wouldn't have been handcuffed if somebody would have flicked him on the outside of the hand. And maybe take him a step further as he aged and went a little bit further. But you, you, get what I'm, you get what I'm saying here. Commandments and laws. The world sh- is shocked and full of horror. No, no, we have to let these children you know, express themselves. And we have to let them learn some things. And, and, uh, and, and you know what your children need to learn? They need to learn that there are commandments and there are laws. And that those things are given and those things need to be abided by. That's what they need to learn. So what I would say is this, parents who refuse to give commandments and laws or children who refuse to receive them will suffer long-term because the world, listen, the world operates by these things. You want your child to be a success someday, and he's gonna have to understand before he goes to school that he's gonna sit in a classroom and there's gonna be a teacher that's gonna teach him some things. And when that teacher is standing there talking and instructing, then, then, then that's the time in which the child is, is sitting in his desk and he's listening. And when that teacher assigns homework and assignments, the, the child is responsible to turn those things in. Why? Because there's such a thing as commandments and laws. And when those commandments and laws are violated, again, punishment needs to be administered. So I would say don't shy away from teaching your children and then, and then enforcing your teaching. 
As parents, don't give laws or commandments to your children that you aren't willing yourselves to live by. That's a problem, isn't it, sometimes? You know, we we wanna tell our kids, don't do that, and yet we participate in it, and we do it. And our children, they, they see that. And they see the inconsistency and they see the hypocrisy. So if you're going to establish a commandment, you're going to establish a law, then you better be willing to abide by that commandment and law yourself. I would say this, try to back up your laws and commandments with scripture and scriptural principles. In other words, when your children come to you and say, well, Dad, why can't we do this? Now again, I, I don't know that at three or four years old, there, there, there's a whole lot of reasoning that's going on. I love, I love watching a, a parent try to educate their two-year-old, you know. Now, now, Johnny, you know, I mean, the kid's two years old. He doesn't even know what you're talking about, you know. He's just doing what his base instincts tell him to do. So at some, at some point, you just have to look at Johnny and say, at that age, listen, you're going to do this because I told you you're going to do this. Or you're not going to do this because I told you you're not going to do this. And if you continue to persist in this, then there's going, there's going, to, be, there's going to be some level of punishment. But as they age... Your children likely will come to you and say, Dad, why, why can't we do this? Why don't you allow this? Why don't we go here? Why don't we participate in this? And my recommendation to you would be that you do your best to back up your laws and your commandments with Bible. And at the very least, if you can't find a chapter or verse, perhaps maybe you can find a principle. And then I also just have to say this to you children, that, that you know, your, your mom and dad may have a certain law or a certain commandment that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, and you don't necessarily see it in the Bible, but, but you just have to understand, God has given me these people to be my authority and to be my head, and my job is to submit. My job is not to necessarily know exactly why they don't want me to do a certain thing. Because it may just be that your parents just say, you know, I can't necessarily back it up with Bible, but I just, I just think it's, that this is what we want to do as a family. And, and, uh, and, and I, I don't necessarily have a scripture, a scriptural principle, but in this house, this is the way that we're going to do things. And, and children, when you hear that, when you hear that, just say, okay, good enough for me. You're, 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 you're the dad that God has given me. You're the mom that God has given me. And so if that's the way you want to do things, so be it. I may, when I grow up and have my own home, I may do things a little bit differently, but that's okay because it's not necessarily a, a scripture, a scriptural principle. Uh, we have Christian liberty in those things. But while I'm living in your house and while I'm under your authority and under your headship, I'm just going to listen to what you have to say. So commandments and laws, the teaching. So communicate consistently your laws and your commandments. Teach these things to your children. But notice, secondly, there's not only the teaching, but there's the keeping in verses 20 and 21. It's not enough for the parent to teach. That's good. That's a, that's a good start. But notice, the son has some responsibilities too, doesn't he? He must keep. He must forsake not. He must bind continually. And he must tie these things about his neck. Can I say the requirement for wisdom of a godly parent to make an impact is nothing more, nothing more than the law of simple obedience. That's it. In other words, so how, do I, how do I get all of this wisdom from my parents? It's very simple. Whatever they tell you to do, just do it. Just live by it. Just hold on to it. Don't forsake it bind it continually to your person tie it around your neck so that everywhere you go it goes as well and hold on to it the 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 keeping of these things the keeping of these things again i i I talked about growing up in the home that i grew up in and we just 
We just went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We did it. And here I am today. I'll be, I'll be 43 in a month, and I'm still going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and I love it. I love it. There's no place I'd rather be. In fact, in fact, if, if there's, for some reason or other, maybe I'm traveling or something, maybe I'm sick, I'm not feeling well, and I'm not in church on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night, I, I, I feel weird. Because just, that's, just that's just where I've been, and it's where I'm supposed to be. I was talking to a pastor recently, and he said, uh, he said how, how are things for your church on Sunday night? And I said, it's amazing on Sunday night. Now we're down a little bit tonight. I think there's some sickness, and I think because it's a holiday. But I said, man, Sunday night's incredible. The people come back, and they, they hear the preaching. And I mean, he just looked at me like I've never heard of such a thing. I had never heard of such a thing. And I don't know why Cleveland Baptist Church is different from other churches. The pastor that asked me that question, they don't even have a Sunday night service because they can't get the people to come back. They're just like, well, if we're not going to get people to come back, we might as well just cancel it all together. You, thought, you think to yourself, well, if we knew it was that easy, it's not going to work here. I'm going to preach no matter who's here. I'll, I'll just keep preaching. But, but I, I, I love Sunday night. But the truth of the matter, listen, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm keeping this because it's what I was given. And I didn't see anything wrong with it. In fact, I, 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 think, I think it was good. It was helpful. Sunday night, being in church, kept me out of, probably out of some trouble. And being in church on Wednesday night kept me out of some trouble and, and on special meetings. And, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping these things. Now, listen, I'm not saying that, that every person that doesn't go to church on Sunday night is a, is a heathen. But I'm just simply saying, listen, you and I have been given some things. And God's, God's prerequisite is what? That we hold on to the things that we've been given. If they're good things, if they're scriptural things, if they're things that are in line with God and in line with his word, well then hold on to it, keep it. One does not need to be gifted. They don't need to be talented or any such thing. They must simply be committed to obedience. And if you'll, if you'll just, be, just be obedient, then you can, you can take the wisdom that mom and dad are passing down to you, and I mean, it can carry you for a very, very long way. So we've seen the teaching, the keeping. Notice thirdly, the leading in verses 22 and 23. He says there, he says, when thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Can I say that the wisdom of mother and father, I say it this way, the wisdom of a godly mother and a godly father, so long as it's based upon God's word, that wisdom will lead that wisdom will keep, and that wisdom will talk to you for the rest of your life. That's what he's saying here in verse number 21. And in verse, in verse number, I'm sorry, in verse number 22. And in verse number 23, listen, these commandments and these laws, here's what they will do. They will serve as lights and maps to safely guide us to a desired destination. Now, on several occasions, I have visited foreign countries. And uh, if you've ever traveled internationally, you know that it just seems like every time you travel internationally, you arrive into the country, the, the destination, late at night. And, uh, and, and that has always been my experience. I don't know that I've ever landed in, in my destination country when it was still daylight. And so you land there, and you're just getting your bearings. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, foreign countries, you know, they sound different because of the language, and, the, and they smell different uh, because maybe they don't have all the emission standards that we have for vehicles and that sort of thing. And a lot of times, they're major metropolitan areas. And so, I mean, you, you land, and you go through customs, and you emerge from the airport, and I mean, it's just like culture shock immediately. And then what ends up happening is you normally, you're arriving late at night. Now, and by the time you've gotten there, you've been traveling for 24 30 hours or so, 
and, uh, and they, they, they whisk you off to some place where you can get a, a good night's sleep. And without fail, without fail, every time that I've done this, I wake up the next morning and, and, I'm, and I'm looking around and I'm like, well, I don't remember it being anything like this last night. And you know what, you know what happened, right? The sun came out. And that, and that light, it, it just transforms everything. And it makes everything look so different. And, and you know what, you know what Solomon is writing here? He's saying, listen, the, the wisdom of a godly mother and father, the wisdom of this book that is faithfully taught, it will be a bright light for you. It'll help you to see things as they really are. It'll shine, it'll shine, it'll change your perspective on things. And then he goes on to say, not only will it serve as light, but it'll also be a map. He, he says that the, the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So that as we <clears throat> dig into God's word and as we embrace the wisdom that comes from a godly mother and a godly father, God gives us, in, in some respects, he gives us a roadmap for which to navigate life here on this earth. Now, often we will observe someone. I've done this before. You've done it before as well. And we'll remark that it seems as if, it seems as if that person has no direction. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Man, they'll, they'll look at someone and they'll say, man, it just looks like that guy has no direction whatsoever. Like he doesn't, doesn't know what's, uh, what's happening. He doesn't know where he's going or uh, like he has no desired destination whatsoever. And I want you to know something that's really sad, but I want you to also know something that's ultimately it is avoidable. It is avoidable because listen, if you and I as parents, if we'll just teach this book, if we'll just teach the principles of this book, we can, uh, we can uh, help our children to arrive at the destination in which they need to go. Now notice secondly, I want you to move, move forward with me. Notice secondly, we've talked about the wisdom, the wisdom of godly parents, but notice secondly, the warning of godly parents. The warning of godly parents. We see that in verses 24 through 35. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this warning we'll be finished tonight. Number one, that it is a repeated warning. It is a repeated warning. Look what he says in verse number 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Now likely, you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, now where have I heard this before? Well, because we've been in the study, we have found in the first six chapters of the book of Proverbs, we have found three direct warnings already as it relates to, to, to morality and as it relates to the evil woman or to the strange woman. It's repeated. I, I have to think that it's likely repeated because Solomon could see evidence in his own life of the problems associated with the strange woman. And he's, and he's, and he's saying, he's saying, he's almost saying to his son, son, learn from my mistakes. And by the way, you, you do understand, right, that we learn probably more from our failures than we do from our successes. And Solomon is writing to his boy and he is saying, listen, I'm, I'm giving you some things and I want these things to keep you from the strange woman, from the evil woman. Solomon's passion to warn this this many times seems to stem from his failure in this area. The Bible says in 1 Kings 11 and verse number one, but King Solomon loved many strange women and he had 700 wives, princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. So this is the third warning given in the first six chapters. He begins to warn about this in Proverbs 2 and verse number 16. He warns about this in Proverbs 5, pretty much the whole chapter. And he's getting ready. Listen, he's going to spend the seventh chapter, just about the entire seventh chapter, warning against the strange woman as well. Can I say the severity of this warning can reveal itself in multiple ways. In other words, if you're on your way towards danger, there's lots of ways in which you could be warned. 
A severe warning would, would maybe be a warning that's, that's in, in bright colors, that, that is flashing uh, very consistently and very regularly. Or it could be in really large print, in really bold letters. Uh, it could be loud sounds that are, that are warning. Or it could be the fact that the warning is repeated over and over and over again, as it is in this case. So based on this, Solomon's warning to his son is at red alert status regarding the danger and the threat that is posed by the strange woman as it relates to immorality. Because he's repeated this over and over and over again, and he's not done yet. Again, as we get into chapter number seven, you're gonna find a very descriptive look at a young man falling in this area. And Solomon is saying, son, son, get a, get a hold of this. Get a, get, get a hold of this. Don't lose sight of this warning. Don't ruin your life in the same way that he had. But notice not only is this warning repeated, but it is illustrated in verses 26 through 29. And, in, and he illustrates it in three, in three ways. Number one, I believe he says that immorality impoverishes. Immorality impoverishes. Look in verse number 26. He says, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. So he's illustrating He's saying, son, if you don't get a hold of this warning, I want you to know something. If you fall in this area, I want to illustrate to you, it'll be like you've been brought to a piece of bread. He said, what exactly does that mean? Well, I think that this first illustration depicts a beggar who is, who is pleading. Listen, he's not pleading for $100. He's not pleading for a, a steak dinner or, or, or some, some, you know. No, no, he just, he's just begging, pleading, just a single piece of bread. That's all I need. That's, that's all I want. That's all that I desire. In other, words, in other words, a single piece of bread is of little worth and little value. And he's brought to that place by the strange woman or by the evil woman. And can I just say this, that there is a financial toll that immorality takes on an individual. There's a financial toll. You should know that. When we talk about a financial toll, we're talking about things like blackmail. Blackmail. We've all read stories about a man who carries on outside of his marriage with the person he carries on with, that person holds that over his head and continues maybe for years, maybe even for decades to extract money. And the minute, the minute you quit giving me the money I'm asking for is the minute I go public with this thing. I just, I just think you ought to know that immorality impoverishes, but that's not the only way it impoverishes. How about child support? How about child support? People are not faithful to their marital vows. And their wife says, that's the way you're going to be. If I can't trust you, this marriage is done. And the wife walks away and she takes the children with her. And for the rest of his life, or at least for the rest of the time that those children are in that home, that man would say, it's not a problem. I mean, that's just certainly his responsibility, and it is. But I'm just simply saying, listen, every time that money is withdrawn from his paycheck or from his bank account, it is a reminder, it is a reminder that he was brought to a piece of bread. And he gave up something of great worth and great value for something of little worth and little value. How about alimony? How about divorce lawyers? Oh, the list could go on and on. And some of you, some of you, you you've been down this road. You, you, know, you know about this toll. You know, you know that exactly what Solomon is saying here, that immorality impoverishes. But notice, secondly, immorality devalues. Look at verse 26. He says, For by means of a horse woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. The second illustration given is that which is precious or of great value. 
being the goal of the adulteress who hunts for the precious life. And you, and you can be certain that when she has achieved her goal, that which she was going for, that which is precious, is now lacking in worth and in value because it is now stained and it is now broken. Can I say this, that one can recover by the grace of God, but the scars will remain due to participation in this sin. Dr. John Phillips writes, about this particular text, he says, God certainly forgave David for committing adultery with Bathsheba, but the era of his great military conquests was over. In that regard, God put him aside. He was no longer a chosen vessel. Boy, that's so true, isn't it? David's kingdom up until his sin with Bathsheba was one of conquest, and it was one of marching forward and doing great things. But you follow, you follow the path of David's life, and you'll find that after 2 Samuel chapter number 11, it is pretty much nothing but heartache and difficulty and judgment over and over and over and over again. Why? Because immorality devalues. It takes a life that at one time was bursting with potential and was so precious and was so valuable, and now all of a sudden it leaves it tattered and scars and, 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 and with wounds that likely, likely will remain for the rest of the life. Number three, notice he says he illustrates it this way. He says, immorality burns. 27, he says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. You know what he's saying? He's saying those who play with fire do so to their own hurt. And if we could, if we could, look, at, if we could look at that type of thing and see it for what it really is. Too many people plunge headlong into that sin because all they see is the pleasure and the excitement. And what Solomon is writing to his son, he's saying, I want you to see what it is. He said, it is a raging fire that will destroy you and will destroy your life. Because immorality burns. It's a spark that will quickly grow into a flame that will burn everything in its path. Notice the third thing he says about this warning is that it renders, he says, it renders a man without excuse. Would you look in verses 30 to 33? He says, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that when a man steals... When a man steals because he is legitimately hungry, he is starving. He's starving to death, and he has no way. He's lost his job, or he can't work, and he steals in order to provide for a legitimate need. He's saying, he's saying in many respects, most people will give someone like that grace. They'll be given grace. We, we say, I, I get it. And if I was starving, I, I, I might do the same thing. I understand, I understand why you did that. It doesn't make it right, and it needs to be restored, and, and, and you need to pay back what you've taken. But I get it. I understand it. You were just, just trying to survive. Though he must still make restitution for what he has taken, it's sort of human nature just sort of, sort of understands it. We get it. You were starving. And if you didn't, if you didn't get a bite to eat, then you, you likely were going to die. So I get it. But here's what he says. He says, when a man sins in this way, instead of grace, instead of being understood 
generally by the vast majority of people. No, no. Instead of that, the Bible says that he gets a wound and he gets dishonor and he gets a reproach that is not wiped away. And I submit to you once again that based upon the authority of God's word, there is a stigma that is attached to immorality that is not attached to other sins. And I, and I submit this as a, as a, as a proof text to, to make the case. Because he's sitting here saying, listen, if you steal and it's because you have a legitimate need, then you're going to be given grace. You're, you're going to have to repay what you've taken, but we're going to understand it. But if you, if you do this, this was not something that you had to do to survive. This is something that you did just to satisfy the lust of your flesh. And as a result, you don't get grace. You get a wound and you get dishonor and you get a reproach that will likely never be wiped away. He's saying that whoever does this, they're without excuse. They did not do what they did to survive. They did what they did simply to satisfy the lusts of their flesh. So when someone bypasses this warning, God says, God says, you're without excuse. You knew better. And you still, you still plunged headlong into this. Instead of being given grace, you get a wound. And you get dishonor. Notice, finally, this warning. He says in it that it provokes, immorality provokes unsparing vengeance. Verses 34 and 35. Notice, notice he says in verse 34, for jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. Neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. The man who is had a spouse, a wife that has been unfaithful to him, or the woman who has had a husband that's been unfaithful to her is provoked to a raging jealousy and will stop at nothing to extract vengeance on the person who committed this act with their spouse. He will not be pacified, he says, with gifts or any other form of payment. His jealous rage will not be satisfied until he has sufficiently restored all that was stolen from him. That's what he's teaching here. So understand, listen, you, you, you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And the warning is very clear. It is a repeated warning. It's given over and over and over again here in the early part of this book of Proverbs. It is a warning that gives it some illustrations to it. Here's what it's like. It is, the warning says this, because you've heard this warning, you choose to go down this path, you will be rendered without excuse. No one's gonna give you grace. And finally, it will provoke unsparing vengeance. You mess around, listen, you mess around with somebody else's bride, you mess around with somebody else's husband, and you mark it down, you mark it down, you've probably earned an enemy out of that person for life. He says there's, 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 no, there's no rage like that kind of jealousy. And they'll stop at nothing. You, you can offer gifts and you can offer ransom and you can offer anything and it will not satisfy the jealous rage that is there. As we conclude tonight as parents, let me encourage you to impart the wisdom God has given you to your children. Don't hesitate to warn them about dangers and those who would seek to destroy them. Listen, it is exactly why he has chosen you for this role. And you may feel, you may feel that you've failed more than you've succeeded in some areas. But I, as I said a moment ago, we learn more from our failures than our successes. Teach your children, give them laws and commandments. It's your job. And if you're a child tonight, you would do well to heed the wisdom that your parents are trying to instill in you and the warnings that they are given. The wisest man who ever lived pleads with his son in our text to keep, to forsake not, to bind, 
going to tie this wisdom about his heart and about his neck.